If you're a veteran or military spouse of a real estate startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Lads branding team. In the following episode of The Transition, I'm joined by Ryan Micheletti, co-founder and general partner at The Veteran Fund, an early-stage venture capital firm based in Silicon Valley that invests in high-growth startups with an emphasis on dual-use technology that are led by exceptional founders from the military community. Ryan is a serial entrepreneur and leader within the tech space. In addition to running The Veteran Fund, he serves as the head of global operations for the Founder Institute, the world's largest pre-seed accelerator. Ryan has been hooking and jabbing in Silicon Valley for over a decade, working diligently to connect the startup ecosystem with more military veterans. Through his work with the Founder Institute, Ryan and his co-founder, Mike Sherbakov, who also plan to get on the transition, are leveraging their unique access to the global startup ecosystem and their partner's experience launching thousands of startups worldwide. On the show, Ryan talks through what it was like growing up in Silicon Valley, the origins of the veteran startup ecosystem, and what he's hoping to accomplish with the Veteran Fund. Before you hear from Ryan and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Ryan, welcome to the bunker. What's going on, man? Thank you. Um, you know, not much. This is my first appearance in any kind of event or podcast or anything um, after having my daughter, which is my third kid. So I'm still technically on paternity leave. I don't know if you can hear a crying baby in the background, um, but uh, I'm excited to be here and I really appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Man, congratulations on that. Um, you know, one of the things you and I were just talking about is, you know, we do have families, we got significant others, right? Like, at the end of the day, like entrepreneurship is one thing. We build our ventures, build our venture funds and stuff, et cetera. But there's still life happening, you know? And uh, before COVID, I feel like there was this huge kind of separation between like work and family and everything. But now, like it's more acceptable, like you say, to have a baby on camera or to work from home and stuff. And I just think that, you know, that's kind of like the world we, we, we live in now. And one of the things I'm trying to be more conscious of, too, is even the guests I invite on the show, right? Talking about the challenges with having a family and being an entrepreneur, because that's the reality of a lot of our listeners. Yeah, that's huge. I'm, I'm happy to dive into that as well. So let's start by having you just introduce yourself to everyone and let them know what you've uh, what you've got going on. Sure. Well, um, thanks again, Mike. So my name is Ryan Micheletti. I'm head of global operations for the Founder Institute and a general partner at the Veteran Fund, which is an early stage venture capital firm that invests in military veterans, spouses, and dual use startups. Um, over the last 12 years or so, I've been helping build the modern and contemporary veteran startup ecosystem. So back in, you know, this is kind of going back to like 2010, 2011, 
Um, I was in the reserves. I did six years in the California Guard. And I was born and raised out here in the Bay Area. So like every kid that was born in Silicon Valley, they're like, I'm going to go and do a startup. So immediately while I was going to school, doing the reserves and trying to like dive into the startup realm here, I realized that there was a very strong correlation between the skills you learn in the military and the skills that you need to be a successful entrepreneur. And I think like, you know, there's lots of research on it, you know, but it's a core tenet of, of Bunker Labs as well. And so I, you know, but the problem was, you know, at the time, this is when, you know, that statistic of 200,000 veterans were leaving the service to a high unemployment rate, um, where we were just kind of crawling out of the 2008 recession. And so um, I got together with my partner, Bo Rogers, who was my co-founder in vet tech, and we decided to launch the first startup accelerator based in Silicon Valley for military veterans. And so we started VetTech as a nonprofit. Um, our goal was to essentially solve the unemployment crisis that was happening um, because, you know, the Kaufman did this study where um, for every tech job that gets created, there's a 2.1 multiplier effect in the economy. So that means like you create a software job, then there's 2.1 other jobs that are created to support that one job. So what better way to solve and create more jobs for veterans than creating technology jobs and jobs for the future? And you do that essentially through startups. I mean, small businesses and startups create the vast majority of new jobs in the U.S. And so that was our, our solution to, uh, to solve that. And so fast forward, you know, three or four years into it, I took the work I was doing at VetTech. I brought it into the Founder Institute. We launched something called the Veteran Founder Initiative which was basically just a series of scholarships for people all over the U.S. who were veterans and wanted to join one of our uh, tech startup accelerator programs. And through that process, we started building out the community, um, working with great organizations like Bunker Labs, Vets in Tech, et cetera. Um, and then a few years ago, I started a, a special program called Veteran Founder Lab. And that was where we basically would take military veterans who were a little bit further along, they're ready to raise capital, they already had a team product and some traction, and we would essentially work with them to help them build their, their startups and, and raise their round. And so fast forward to the end of last year, one of those companies had an exit, um, Mike Frazier, who's a friend and Air Force veteran, um, he, uh, he had an exit. And then that was really the catalyst for the veteran fund, because we saw that there was a huge gap in the pre-seed funding market for veterans. So there's lots of really great venture capital firms out there that are started by veterans, but a lot of them are like late seed or series A. So if you're a veteran and if you're trying to start a company and you don't have 50,000 month in recurring revenue yet, where do you go to get funding? Where do you go to get resources and that support that's needed? And so that's really, you know, what, where the veteran fund focuses, we focus on filling that gap. All right. I want to talk some more about this veteran fund and talk about this pre-seed uh, hustle you know, and how you evaluate evaluate um, potential. But before we get into all that, we got to take off our armor and get a little vulnerable. All right. So maybe I'll go first. You know, one of the things I struggle with, Ryan, is I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> like I have this conversation with my girlfriend um, because I'm just I'm still so hungry and curious. And I feel like being an entrepreneur has really taught me how to like launch projects. You know what I mean? So like I just wrote my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, that's coming out this month. Right. I'm uh, thinking about I'm actually working on my next book, which is a novel and it's called Confessions of a Native Son. But like that's such a completely different path than, you know, focus on growing my business, growing Ironbound Media, working on my nonprofit. And so I feel like I got all these different hustles. And sometimes I wonder, like, man, am I 
not reaching the potential in any individual one because I, I'm so kind of scattered. But at the same time, I wonder if, like, that's just my personality. Like, I like exploring my curiosity, and I feel like I'm still early in my own kind of entrepreneurial journey, you know, because I only went full-time, like, three years ago. So it's like that 10-year overnight success, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and so who knows where I'm going to be three, four, five years from now, but I feel like I'm still figuring out what I'm capable of, right? And, like, it's just very hard for me to focus on one individual thing because I'm still curious. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I struggle with a similar thing where, you know, if you look at the the work that I've done at Founder Institute and Vet Tech, I've launched over 600 startups through these accelerator programs. And my goal was to get to a thousand with the, the idea of, you know, how do we create a thousand startups that are positively impacting humanity? And, you know, I'm about to turn 35 years old. I'll for sure get to a thousand. But by the time, you know, I'm like old and crippled. But I think there's a huge, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in what you said, right? The contemporary, like modern wisdom is like, you have to specialize, right? That's how you succeed. You got to become a master at one thing and then do it really, really well. But there's actually a lot of research now that's showing that generalists are, are more successful. And so um, you're almost better off kind of being, you know, a really strong in a, a wide variety of categories than really just doubling down on one. The caveat to that is maybe if you're building a tech startup. Right. And so, you know, for me, it's like I help support startups. I help fund startups. I help them grow. And so, like, I have the ability to go wide. Whereas if you're a tech startup founder, you absolutely have to go deep. That focus is incredibly, incredibly important because you're essentially trying to take this vision and this thing that you've, you've kind of built, in, at least in your mind and in your heart, and bring it into the world. And that takes a lot of willpower and, and strength. And so, that focus is is extremely important whenever you're creating something that is going to require that, you know, 60 to 80 hour workload a week to really bring it to market and bring it to life. Yeah, I guess one thing I struggle with, too, is and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this is like, what are we all working towards? You know what I'm saying? Like you yeah. get to the end, you get that big exit or whatever. And it's like, now what? You know, you I go know. on to the next thing, you know, like, are you in are you in shape? Like, do you have a good quality of life? Right. So those are all things that I'm constantly kind of thinking about because we only have one life to live. And it's like, how do we want to spend it? And I know for me, like I'm working my way back around values. Right. Because Jim Collins talks about when you ever you measure your success by money, you will always fail. Focus on values. And so it's like, what are the things that are important to me? So I was like my girlfriend, freedom, autonomy, the ability to explore my curiosity. But it's hard sometimes when you compare yourself to other people and you're like, man, I should be there, you know, but here I am messing around, <laughs> writing books and making podcasts and stuff. But at the same time, it's just like, I think this is what energizes me. So I think it's hard. We don't have enough of these kind of conversations because it's, it's always like, oh, I'm trying to get this big exit or I want to make a lot of money, generational wealth and stuff. But like, yo, what is your experience like during this entire time um, yeah. and being intentional about it? I, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is something that we talk about every single day and I put a lot of, of thought behind, which, you know, I know a lot of founders um, that they have that exit and they have like tens of millions of dollars, if not more in, in their bank account, but they still feel like, okay, well, what's next? It's, there, there's almost like this emptiness and human beings like by our nature, we crave these like things. It's almost like the dopamine rush you get while scrolling through your social media feed you kind of crave the next thing. It's like this, this desire that never goes away. 
And really like, you know, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much success you have, if you keep chasing that, you're never going to be satisfied. You know, you could be the strongest, fastest, smartest, richest person in the room. But if you don't have some deeper level of meaning behind your life, you're not going to be happy. And so one of the core values at the Veteran Fund that we look for in founders is something we call purpose. And it's like, why are you here? Why are you doing what you're doing? And is that going to motivate you enough to actually bring you to the full fruition of, of your potential and what the outcome is that we're looking for as investors in, in a fund? And I think it goes beyond just making money. I, I think that's, you know, that's the whole point of being a VC is you have to take other people's money, invest it and make more money. But I do think like really like we're, we're in this position where we need to, to empower the next generation of leaders. We need to find the people like you, Mike, who care a lot about liberty, care a lot about this freedom to express themselves and, and live their life and be able to unite them in this tribe to then go and affect greater positive change, not only in America, but across the world. So what about you? You know, when you think about uh, taking off your armor, right? Because I'll tell you, right, like I feel like in terms of like the business space, the entrepreneurial space, it seems like managing a fund is like the pinnacle. You know what I mean? So like, what are people working towards like outside of that? So as someone who's there in this space, like, you know, get vulnerable with us. Let us know something you're struggling with. Well, so I, you know, if my journey from the very beginning has been pretty unconventional, I was sort of like you and, and you know, it all, it all came down to, you know, I did a lot of introspection. I traveled the world. I did all these things. And like, I realized that um, you sort of need to forge your own path. And so I spent, you know, the first four years of my entrepreneur career, living at my parents' house, being a starving entrepreneur, seeing my peers go on to do these like, you know, great things like being a salesperson at at t or whatever you do when you're like, you know, or in your early 20s. And, um, but I, I kept the faith and I kept going and I never gave up. And that's really like, ultimately, like what, what you need to do. There's this sort of learning curve in the first two years of whenever you start something where you're not going to be making money, you're going to have to struggle, you're going to face a lot of adversity. Then once you kind of get past that inflection point, it starts to work. Maybe you generate revenue. And so one of the things that I've sort of struggled with is like, you know, by being that starving entrepreneur for like the first four years of what I was doing, it sort of created this um, almost like drive. And I wouldn't call it like an unhealthy drive because I, I have pretty good like work-life balance right now where it's like no matter what I would do, it wasn't good enough. And I'd have to go and do the next thing and do it better and continue to improve myself in order to actually like achieve what I wanted to achieve, which as you said, is like, you know, having a fund is sort of the pinnacle. So I've kind of bootstrapped my way through being able to be a VC now and, and have a fund and invest in companies, which, you know, I, if I had a hundred million dollars in the bank right now, I would be doing the exact same thing I'm doing right now. So I've got like this, like almost ideal, you know, founder product fit of like this life purpose of what I'm doing. And, you know, I think, the big piece for me is like, it took a while to really find out what my purpose is and, and be truthful and authentic about it. How do you keep yourself accountable, making sure that you're in line with chasing that purpose? So um, I created this mental model a long time ago, which is every single day, you have to do something to expand your mind, your body and your spirit, right? And as military veterans, it's like, okay, I go work out. I mean, you've got a gym, you, you help people work out all day. So that's a really important piece. But your physical body is just, you know, one component of who you actually are. It's not who you actually are. And then your mind, like, okay, I'll go to school, I'll learn this, I'll take this course, I'll watch this event, right? You're always kind of growing and learning and reading books. 
But I think a huge piece that people skip over is the spiritual part, right? And that's not to say religious. I, you know, we kind of use the code word mindfulness because it's less like polarizing. But at the end of the day, the most important thing for you as a person is to have a relationship with the divine. Whatever that means to you, whatever it is, you could meditate, you know, once a day, twice a day, whatever that is. But if you don't have that mindfulness practice, then there's a couple of things that will happen. You'll get lost. So you're going to start identifying yourself with your mind and you're going to start having these worries and you're not actually able to like create the separation and space to realize who you are and what you've come here to do. And by creating that space, you're able to then actually have these realizations and insights that will save you time down the road. So, you know, if you talk to a lot of successful founders, they have some kind of like daily meditation or daily like practice to kind of like you know, create that, that mental space to allow their spirit to shine through. And I think that that's an extremely important thing that every single person, whether you're a military veteran or a startup entrepreneur, you need to integrate because you'll start to realize that you're not just your body and your mind. You're something much greater than that. And you're here for great reasons and you need to follow that thread and never give up. And then that's where you find your purpose. Man, that's so real. hundred percent. Um, you know, making sure that we're practicing that self-awareness, right. Um, and staying strong, Right. That's the other thing. I think that's what we're talking about. Like you said, the spiritual, mental, physical. It's just you got to stay strong. Right. And right now, you know, there's all this uncertainty that's going on, but it's always been there. The thing is, uncertainty's yeah. always been there. But one way you get on the offense is to, like you say, practice that mindfulness, you know, taking calm to make sure you're taking care of yourself and stuff. And uh, I appreciate you sharing it. And, you know, as we talk about the veteran fund. One thing I'm curious about right off the bat is it seems like the veteran entrepreneurial space, like we're a real tight niche community, right? So that means there's a lot of overlap too. And when you start talking about like VSOs, right? VSOs are just stacking on top of each other, you know? But now as we start to see more and more um, funds focused around military veterans, you know, how are you thinking about distinguishing the veteran fund from the other funds that are out there and like, I don't know, on the LP side, it's like a lot of y'all are talking to the same or similar LP. So how are you like navigating that? Yeah, it's a really, really good point. And we see this all the time. It's more so on like the nonprofit side where like there's this cannibalization of donors and like everyone's kind of like competing a little bit. And one thing I think Bunker Labs does a really, really good job of is helping bring together the community, right? And like being that sort of unification force in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. Blake's done a, a really fantastic job of, of doing that. And that's also been, you know, since we started the Veteran Founder Initiative, my mission has been to unite the veteran entrepreneur community. Because here's the reality, right? The technology industry is going to continue to grow, right? There's going to be ups and downs, but like this is the future. We are on the front lines right now. And so that's going to continue to grow. You're seeing it with VC. You're seeing it with startups proliferating all over the world. And so there's going to be plenty of capital out there. There's going to be plenty of opportunity and I think what's really important is like, how do you find your tribe? How do you bring them together to help like help kind of serve the same cause? And so, um, you know, for us, like when it comes down to other funds, we, we've been very mindful and thoughtful about um, helping promote other funds, being a proactive member of the community, supporting other groups and other organizations and really being kind of neutral when it comes to that. So, you know, if you're helping a veteran uh, and you're some kind of nonprofit or organization, we'll absolutely support you. We'll bring you into the fold. Um, even if you go to our website, veteran.fund slash team, you'll see we promote all of the other VCs in the ecosystem, which no other venture capital firm 
does. I mean, if you go to Andreessen's website, I don't think they're promoting, you know, Sequoia Capital. <laughs> um, and I think that's one kind of unique strength of the veteran community, which is we're all sort of in this together and everyone wants to be proactive and helpful. And I think we can harness that power and that energy. And I think we can bring it and, and expand it even more to do more good in the world. And that's really like the core of what we do and how we differentiate at the fund is we have three kind of core values, leadership, purpose, resilience, right? Leadership, because, you know, that's what you learn in the military in order to start a company and build it to like a 500 person employee organization, you have to have good leadership skills. And, you know, I've heard this time and time again, take like the top Stanford MBA candidate and put them against a military veteran, maybe just an enlisted person. That military veteran is going to have much greater leadership skills than that Stanford MBA. And that's really, at the end of the day, what you're doing. You're trying to find people and build a movement and create this thing. So you have to have that leadership skills. The purpose piece we talked a little bit about, that's extremely important. Why are you doing what you're doing? If it's to make money, and you know, in my first startup, that's exactly what I was doing. I thought we would just launch this app. We'd raise a couple million bucks and then sell for a billion dollars, right? That's sort of like the conventional like thing that's been, been you know, shared around the ecosystem. But the reality is like, I didn't care about it. I wasn't like, oh, we absolutely need to help restaurants provide discounts to people. Um, I, you know, it was more along the lines of like, oh, here's an interesting opportunity. I'm going to jump in and help. And, you know, even though that company failed, fortunately, it gave me a head start into like what I was doing and it helped me get a little bit further down the path. So purpose is extremely important. You're not going to build an enduring institution or organization unless you have strong purpose. And then the last core value for us is resilience. As you've said, I mean, like, you know, you need extreme, you need to be strong and you need extreme resilience to go down this path. And that's not to say you need to be like rigid and inflexible because there are times where you need to bend and pivot and like navigate through like the market, but you have to be able to, you know, survive that. And you have to be able to like have that self-awareness to know like, okay, am I pivoting on my purpose or is this an, a, a shiny object that's going to kill us or is this the right path? And so I think a big piece of that is like surrounding yourself with the right people, the right network, the right advisors who can help support you on the way. When you think about Veterans Fund's thesis, right? So I work with the Academy Investor Network, had a chance to launch their podcast, Those Who Dare. You know, they're focused on uh, military-led startups, but also dual use, right? How are you thinking about y'all's thesis at the Veteran Fund? Yeah, I, I love it. And, you know, we're big fans of, of Sherman and AIN and Emily. Um I think so dual use is a really interesting space right now because there's all these SIBRs and STTRs that are out there to help companies get funded. One of the best pieces of advice I heard, and this is, was from someone um, who's head of you know, the, one of the uh, research labs. He said, success in dual use really comes down to this. You need to be a commercial product first. Then you go after SIBRs to then help one, get non-diluted funding, but two, also unlock a large government customer. But if you're solely relying on the government, meaning you're not really dual use at that point, if you're just doing a government thing, they'll drag you through that valley of death for like 18 months and you might not survive. So for any founder here who's working on dual use, and I've seen this, right? They've canceled contracts, they've approved contracts and then rescinded them. And there's all these like things that happen. So until the money's in the bank, like, you know, anything can happen. So what you need to do is de-risk a little bit by making sure that you're building something that people will pay for in the private sector 
that can also be used for government. And that's how you win in dual use. And we're, you know, military veterans, because that's our core thesis, mil uh, veterans and spouses, a lot of them naturally gravitate towards dual use because they were, you know, they have experience in various technologies or insights to problems um, because of their experience in, in the military. And so like, that's one piece. Our thesis is really this, you know, we'll, we'll invest in a non-veteran if they're doing dual use, but it has to have a very specific application. Um, we want, you know, 80 to 90% of our investments to have a veteran on the leadership team. Um, but, you know, that's to say like, you know, I think we also want to keep the aperture open and be flexible ourselves because if there's a really, really interesting technology, I'll give you a good example. Um, we just invested in a company called Lone Star. The founder uh, is actually an immigrant, um, and but he's like, you know, one of the top satellite spectrum experts in the world. He led a company for 20 years who basically was selling like RF bandwidth um, to, uh, to other companies. And, um, you know, we invested in the company because he's building data centers on the moon. And it's like, at first you're like, oh, wow, that's kind of crazy. Like, why do we need a data center on the moon? You know, it has to do with disaster recovery as a service. It has to do with like, you know, essentially building infrastructure up there um, that, that's kind of long lasting. But what ended up happening is because we invested and because he saw like the mission of the veteran fund, he actually, one of his first hires on the executive team was a veteran. So now we're able to actually affect the situation both ways where, you know, if we can help bring in veterans and get them hired into these companies as well, that's also a win for us. Love it. Now, one of the things you talked about for is pre-seed. You're focused on pre-seed. And pre-seed is very interesting because, again, you don't necessarily have a lot of the market validation as, you know, some of those later stage. Like you said, you don't have $50,000 or $100,000 in recurring revenue, right? So really, when they're coming to you, they're asking you to invest an idea or a concept. And so for our founders out there that are pre-seed, you know, how do you look competitive, you know, when you are raising venture capital from, say, the veteran fund? And I'm curious to know, like, how are you able to, you know, it seems like a lot of investors are pulling out of pre-seed, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but it just seems like, you know, there's this less hesitancy. There's more hesitancy around pre-seed now. So, um, it, and we've seen this at Founder Institute, there's actually more activity going further upstream to pre-seed in the global marketplace. Um, and that's because it's getting more competitive for good deals. So organizations are starting to move a little bit earlier. In fact, I think even Andreessen released like kind of a, a seed program, you know, typically there are series A and beyond. Sequoia's got, you know, a pre-seed program um, and a seed program. So you're actually starting to see people get into the pre-seed market, which, you know, organizations like Founder Institute are, are um, you know, a perfect fit for that trend. Um, here's how we look at companies and here's how we assess them. So I would call us like, mid to late pre-seed. So technically pre-seed could be an idea, but it could also be a company that's raised less than, you know, $2 million. So um, we have, you know, our own criteria that we assess companies through and it's as follows. Is the founder full-time on the startup? If yes, great. If you're not full-time on your startup, investors won't invest in you. At least professional investors with funds, they can't do it because you're shifting the risk onto them. Um, you could still go out and raise like a friends and family or maybe like a, a really small like angel round. That's totally fine. But as soon as you go after institutional investors, you have to be full time on your startup, even if you're not making money. So that's just the reality. The second piece is, do they have a team of at least two other people? Um, 
fundraising is a huge distraction for founders, right? It takes them three to six months doing, you know, specifically fundraising activity for 30 to 40 hours a week. So how is the company also going to be making progress while you're fundraising if you're distracted doing this other workflow to the side? Well, you need to have a team, right? Because, every, you're, you know, you're not going to meet an investor who's going to write you a check right away. That just doesn't happen. Um, so what will realistically happen is you'll have, meet them. You'll have an initial meeting. Maybe they check back in with you in a month. Maybe you set up a second or third meeting and then they start to like talk terms, that's going to happen over three months. And if you're not making progress over those three months, then you're kind of SOL, right? If you have the same amount of traction and you're not, you know, that's going to be, you know, a, a little bit of a red flag. So you have to have that team to support you while you're fundraising. So full-time team, um, full-time founder, you have to have a product built. And this was one of my early mistakes. And I really want to emphasize this. You can't go out and raise a million dollars to build your product. The exception to that rule is deep tech. We had a quantum computing company at Founder Institute with a really strong founder, top quantum expert. He was able to go and raise, you know, I think it was like 1.25 million without a product because it's very expensive to build a quantum product. And so with deep tech, there's an exception to the rule there. But, you know, for the vast majority of the time, you need to have a product built, even if it's an MVP, but it has to be built. And then the last piece is you have to have some kind of demonstrable traction. Now, early on, maybe it's an LOI, a letter of intent, or maybe it's some kind of purchase order or something to show that customers want to buy your thing, right? And, you know, if you have all of that criteria, then that's the table stakes to then have a conversation with a group like the Veteran Fund. Um, because if you don't have any of that, you're not investable, at least in an institutional fashion. Then when we have the conversation, we do an initial screening, we kind of look at what they're building, we look at the market, we look at the team. So kind of the, you know, you'll hear team, team, team a lot. So that's really important. But what we'll do is we'll, we'll look at like the valuation that they have and we'll, we'll kind of do our own analysis and say, can this company 100X from where they're at? So if you come to us and you're like, hey, I'm raising a pre-seed round with a $5 million cap on a safe note, you know, internally, we're gonna do the math and say, okay, how do we get this company to, uh, to exit for $500 million? And so what we do is we go through an exercise of looking at, okay, what's your current traction? What's your plan for growth? What's your go-to-market strategy? And then look at your financials and say, okay, can you get to 50 to $100 million in revenue over the next five to seven years, which would then justify a $500 million exit? And if you can do that, then that's a good, then we'll kind of take it to the next step and say, okay, now let's like kind of do some deeper due diligence and, you know, look at the company docs and actually send a term sheet out. So we're, we're very methodical when it comes to like how we look at investing. Um, and I'm happy to dive into any of that if that sparks any questions. I would love for you to, because I feel like in the ecosystem, right, there's a lot of people, I need capital. Everybody says I need capital. You ask them what they need, they need capital. But to be yeah. a venture backable startup, can you break it down how hard it is to achieve the level of growth needed to return back that investment? Like even me with Ironbound Media, I'm just thinking like for me to get like, you know, 500x right now, that's so hard. You know, that's a full on, you know, I mean, that's like going to war. Right. And from a sales yeah. perspective. Right. And to get that, you got to bring on a sales team. You got to do a bunch of different stuff. So I would love for you to just kind of be transparent with our listeners about realistically, you know, what does you know, how aggressive that growth needs to be. Yeah, it's, it's extremely aggressive. And the reason for that is, is the way the venture capital industry is, is structured. So 
you know, like us as VCs, we need to go and raise money from people called limited partners or LPs. So ultra wealthy individuals, pension funds, um, and that's where we get the money to invest in the startup. And the typical venture return target is about 3x. So if we have a, you know, $20 million fund, we need to be able to provide a 3x return on that, because we're holding that money over a 10 year period, right? So, you know, that usually comes out to like a 20% rate of return every year for like 10 years or so. So in order to make that 3x return, in order to grow the fund from being a $20 million fund, let's just call it to an $80 million fund, which would be a, a really good success, we need to make sure that we're investing in companies that can provide that high growth. So I'll give you an example. Let's, let's take that company that we just mentioned. They're raising you know, money at a $5 million cap. Um, and let's say we, our check size is about 250K. If we invested $250,000 in that company, we ultimately want it to grow 100x. So like, let's just simplify it. Let's not take into account like dilution and, and investing in future rounds to prevent it. But let's just, you know, simple math. We put in 250K. If we chose a good company, that will 100X, that gives us um, 25 million, right? So that's a, that's a big jump. Now, that the reason why is, um, we have to make that big jump is because there's going to be a high failure rate, right? The, the you know, 90% of startups fail. I think it's somewhere around like 1% will actually go on to raise venture capital. So it's extremely tough and competitive. Um, and, and, you know, that would be a big success, but that's 25 million, right? We still need to get to 80 million to return the funds. So now we need, let's just call it three or four more companies who can perform that out of our 25 company portfolio. And so even if that company had a 10x, which is like, okay, that's great. That's only two and a half million, two and a half million out of the 80 million we need to get to right? You need to do that, you know, 20 times. And so that's where like these big numbers and, and like the, the metric that's commonly used is, is something called um, home runs per at bat. Every investment we make needs to fit the lens of potentially being a home run. That's where we look at the lens of the 100x multiple. One of the things I think I struggle with when I think it comes to founders of color, underrepresented, you can even throw veterans in this category is... Well, let me focus on minorities. I'm going to focus on minorities. All right. I'm curious to hear your feedback as a venture capitalist. All right. Because the fund only gets their return on the big exit. Right. A lot of times is, if I'm not mistaken, you push for companies to go for it. Right. Go for that home run. Right. But when you talk about a lot of founders of color, particularly black founders, you know, we receive less than 1% of venture capital. A lot of times, you know, um, a lot like every founder, we're investing a lot in our companies and stuff. So although it could be beneficial for the founder to get a, 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 a exit from another company, right, like an acquisition, but for the fund, not so much. And so you're going to push them. And in the cost of doing that, the company could fail. Right. And one of the things I think about, you know, I call myself like an urban capitalist. Right. Because I believe in pro entrepreneurship amongst urban communities is that can be super devastating for a lot of founders of color. Um, and so, you know, when you're given that advice about, you know, hey, do you should you go this route? I understand the upside is potential is huge. But at the same time, right, like I just feel like that's a huge hit for us when we sacrifice so much, you know, and to lose our companies trying to go for the big exit. 
Yeah, it's a, it, you highlight a really big problem. And I think that's where, you know, initially when we're talking to the founders, we sort of, we ask them not only like what their purpose is, but like, what's their vision? Do they want to turn it into a billion dollar company? You know, that's really hard to do. And like, not everyone is capable of doing it. And, you know, frankly, like a lot of people shouldn't do that, right? Like, I, you know, my brother and I, we started a security company. It's certainly not venture backable, but it provides a nice return and we make a little bit of money and it's great. You know, it's how we were able to afford our houses that and, and the, uh, um, uh, you know, the ability to just kind of go out and, and carve our own path. And so I think there's a lot of, um, I think it comes down to the vision of the founder, right? If, if they're not willing to go that route, they shouldn't be raising venture capital because it's just not a fit. Now there is sort of a, you could slice off a piece of the investment community, which would maybe be like angel investors or friends and family, because, you know, you could, pr you could still make a really good return selling your company for $50 million, right? Which is also really hard to do and like, you know, requires a lot of time, energy and effort. Um, but, you know, there are angels who will invest 25, 50K checks to maybe get you to a 500K, you know, round. Um, and, you know, if you had an exit a couple of years later for 50 million, that could still provide a good return for them. But when it comes down to, so if, if the person's investing their own money, there, it, there's a little bit more flexibility. If I'm investing money on the behalf of someone else, then it has to fit the the criteria to make the return that's been promised to them. Now, on your side of the house, right? How hard is it raising a fund? You know, um, I will say this. You know, previously, I thought starting a company was one of the hardest things you could do. Then I heard starting a fund is one of the hardest things you can do. And I sort of had a re realization between both. Yes, they are really hard, but there's a huge distinguishing factor that makes it really, really hard or enjoyable. And that's your team, right? Um, I'm very fortunate and blessed to have a really strong team at the Veteran Fund. Big shout out to Mike Sherbakov, Justin Nahama, and Lisa Song Sutton. Um, they bring an incredible level of talent and network to the fund, which enables us to go out. And we made a ton of progress when we first started off and we're continuing to make a lot of progress. In fact, originally we um, were raising a $10 million fund, but because of the, the traction we were getting and, you know, the people who were coming to support us, we said, okay, let's double the fund size so we could do more follow on investing in, in the portfolio. And so um, the secret here is like, it's really all about your team. Your team, the people you work with day in and day out, they got to be values aligned. They got to have the right skill set. They got to be the right like person that you love and you want to spend time with because it doesn't feel like work. Like the veteran fund to me, it doesn't feel like a job. It feels like this really cool um, thing that I'm doing with people that I care deeply about that is going to have a big impact in the community. And so like it, you know, whether it's jumping, doing things like this on paternity leave or doing like, you know, LP calls, like I thoroughly enjoy it. And it's really just because of the team. Um, and so I would, I would say like the learning there is like, regardless if it's a startup or a fund, make sure you surround yourself with really, really good people, because they're going to be the difference between raising the next round or being able to build the product and doing all these different things. And the other thing I would say too, is like, you know, there is a, lack of software developers in the veteran community, right? Most of the people I talk to, and I'm certainly guilty of this myself, they're like the hard charging Marine who's got a little bit of a business background. They're just going to go out and change the world. And that's great. You can absolutely do that. But 
you can't go down that path, assuming some investor is going to come in and just give you a million dollars so that you can then find a team and build a product, right? You need to switch it. Find the team first. If you can find someone technical that can build your product, that's the core. That's the cornerstone of everything else. Don't even talk to investors until you have that piece because you're not fundable. And so you need to find that person who can help you build the product, find the team to surround yourself with. And that's going to make your journey much, much easier. Now, at this point in time, how many investments have you all um, done? And what was the time from the time you met a founder to the time you cut the first check typically? Yeah, um, we've done four investments to date and we're talking to our fifth and sixth right now. Um, you know, the, our very first investment was in instant teams and I've known Liza and Erica since like 2014 um, before they even started the company. And they had this really cool journey that helped us, you know, validate and basically initially write, write a check to them because we knew like what they were doing and had some, some inside scoop on it. But essentially, like they, you know, originally spoke with Vet Tech. They said, hey, we've got this vision for creating this workforce of remote military spouses to help corporations with their customer support needs. Um, and so, you know, we brought them into Vet Tech. We started working with them, made some introductions, tried to help them kind of build out their customer base. And then, um, you know, at the time, I think the company was called Mad Skills um, with a Z. They, um, I said, hey, why don't you guys go through the Founder Institute program? Because it's going to take this kind of largely service-based model and help turn it into a technology startup. Because essentially it was like a staffing model, right? I'm going to, you know, build this company, you know, whatever, 50 bucks an hour, and I'm going to pay this employee 30 bucks and we create, you know, we get the Delta. Um, they went through FI, gave them a, a military spouse scholarship to go through FI for free, which we're doing for all military veterans and spouses now. Um, and they were able to transform from mad skills, which was service-based into instant teams, which was software-based. And so they actually built software to help manage their organization. And then over the next few years, they raised $3 million from, I think uh, it was uh, Squadra, I think it was 3 million. Then they went on and, you know, hired, I think they got to, you know, 500 employees. And then earlier this year, they raised that massive $13 million series A um, from Tiger Global. And so um, because of our relationship with them, because I've known them for, you know, better half of the decade, um, we knew what they were doing and we knew the vision. And yet, you know, if you fast forward a couple of years from now, their goal is to hire 10,000 military veterans and spouses. And why I think that really matters is that these are, these are jobs of the future, right? These are remote jobs. If you can help support the family unit um, within the military, you know, uh, spouse and, and husband dynamic, that's huge. That's going to support the, the husband to maybe stay in the military and get the pension or the wife. And, you know, there's all these things that will happen. But, you know, if I go back to the original purpose of starting Vet Tech, which was to help solve the unemployment issue, if we can help instant teams get to 10,000 employees, I mean, that's that's massive. That's exactly what we set out to do 10 years ago. I think you said something that's super important. And he's, even while we do this podcast is relationships. Right. Um, and I think a lot of times. Right. Like. People understand networking, but they don't understand the importance of building real meaningful relationships with people. And one of the things I keep seeing coming up over and over again when I talk to people that have gone on to raise funding is that they have relationship with their investors, that they met them at a networking event, but then they kept tabs on them, you know, um, and they just built rapport over time. And so you even coming on this podcast is another great way to kind of have our listeners kind of uh, close the distance between the veteran fund and it's leadership 
right? Now they hear you, they get to understand how you think. And now it's like, okay, well, does this fund even meet the, do we meet the criteria that you're looking for? Like you say, do we have someone that can build a product? I'm a solo founder, I don't have a team, right? And so now that they know this kind of stuff, right? They can go out and try to, you know, set conditions as we like to say in the Marine, in the military, and then start to approach a fund such as yours or some of the other ones in our ecosystem. Yeah, it, you're 100% right. And here's some advice that I have for those founders. Um, and we teach this in Funding Lab, which is our postgraduate program at Founder Institute. But you're when you're fundraising, you're going to get a ton of no's. I think the average person has to talk to 150 investors to raise their round. Um, major, vast majority of them are going to say no. And that's where that resilience and purpose and strength comes in. Because when you get your 30th no in a row, um, you know, it could be demoralizing. Now you have to be aware enough to find out why they're saying no and get feedback and see if you're like really ready. But here's, here's the strategy, right? You essentially want to create your leads list, right? Don't tell people you're fundraising. Don't officially kick off your fundraise. Just meet people. Right. And you and one of the best things you can tell an investor is like, hey, I'm not raising funding right now. Um, I'd love for you to just kind of see what we're doing and get some feedback. And, you know, we'll keep you posted as, as we you know go to fundraise. And what that does is that lowers the defenses of that investor because they're like, OK, this founder wants money from me. OK, they don't want money because they're not raising the round. Let me let me peek under the hood and see what they're doing. So you can actually build an authentic relationship that's not transactional. So you start to build out this like CRM of like 100 to 150 investors. Then once you actually have good traction and you're able to raise money, and I'll, I'll get into that in a moment, that's when you like do your all out Blitzkrieg investor campaign, right? You don't want to do like two investor meetings a week scattered over six months. You want 30 investor meetings a week, right? Full-time effort, you know, because that, that concentration is going to one, get you really good at pitching. Two, it's going to create this artificial, well, not necessarily artificial, but this momentum with your round. You're going to be able to iterate quickly from feedback and things that you learn. And you're able to create this demand where it's like, you know, you finish one investor meeting, you say, hey, I got to run. I got to go meet, you know, so-and-so from the veteran fund. Like, oh, you're talking to the veteran fund. Like, you know, so you're able to kind of like create this concentrated focused effort, which will help you almost like, you know, the magnifying glass with the sun going through. It's going to help concentrate that effort so you can successfully uh, raise the round. So that's some, that's one, you know, piece of feedback for, for fundraising. And also um, I have something here basically kind of showing like what, what is pre-seed? What is seed? What does that mean? Right. Traction levels, fundraising wise, like, and then like, what's the traction you need? And so here's, here's the reality, right? It would be nice if we had unlimited money to invest in all these different companies, because frankly, there's a lot of companies that deserve funding that can't get it. But unfortunately, only the top 10 to 20% of companies that talk to investors will get that investment. And so if you aren't comparably in the top 10% of companies at your stage talking to that investor, you're not going to get the money, right? And so that's why it's like, you can't go out there and say, I'm raising money with just an idea because the investor is going to say no. And then essentially that's almost a no for life. It's really hard to take a no and turn it into a yes. So you need to be very, very smart and decisive of when you're actually going out to fundraise because you want to make sure that you actually are in that 10, top 10% of companies they're talking to. And if you're not, then go back, team, product, traction, keep that loop going, build out the team to get more traction, you know, to build out the product. And you just basically need to keep that loop going 
And then at some point you will be in the top 10%. And that's when you want to go out and raise because you're going to raise at better terms. It's going to be much easier to raise, right? Because you will essentially have to talk to less investors um, and you'll find the right values aligned people. You see how sharp Ryan is, y'all? This man knows his stuff and he's part of our ecosystem. So again, we're bringing you the best in the business on this platform to drop those knowledge bombs, man. Because again, there was this time where there was a lot of uncertainty around venture and raising capital and stuff. But now, thanks to the internet, again, thanks to platforms, we're able to, at the very least, get a lot more information out there. And I know we've talked a lot about we've talked about a lot of different stuff over the last, you know, forty-five minutes or so. Is there anything we didn't cover that you want to make sure we cover before um, I let you go? Yeah, um, I would love to just let everyone here know that um, at Founder Institute we have a military family and veteran accelerator. It's attached to the Founder Institute San Diego, um, which is run by my partner in the veteran fund, Mike Sherbikov. And so, you know, you basically get to go through an accelerator for free. We just give you these, these veteran and military spouse scholarships. Um, and you're able to, to work with a VC through the accelerator program. And our goal is really to use it as top of funnel so that we could look at companies and be able to invest in them. One of the veterans that went through the last program, Simon, who's building a really interesting company, he just raised money from Jason Kalkanis. Um, and so he's making some really good progress. Now, this is for specifically like tech companies, like if you're building software or hardware or some kind of tech enabled business. Um, but I wanted to let people know that if you go to fi.co slash veteran, you can see the details of the next date. And we're just giving once you apply and are accepted, we're just giving out the fellowships that waives the initial cost of the program. I love it. I'll be sure to include a link uh, to that in the show notes. And as we close out here, Ryan, before I let you go, two quick questions. Number one. What advice would you like to leave our listeners with words of encouragement as they continue on their own entrepreneurial journey? And number two, as a community, how can we support and elevate the work you're doing at the Veteran Fund? It's a good question. So one piece of advice is you're going to face adversity, right? But for many of you, it's not going to be the same level of adversity as you might have you know, experienced while you were in the service. But it's important to like set the right conditions to be able to be successful. And in the technology startup arena, that means building out a team, finding someone that can own the product side of the house, whether they're a software developer or whether that's you as the, the founder and CEO. But that's extremely important. And like a big piece of that is networking, meet as many people as you can, get as much exposure as you can, and just realize that... Um, it goes a lot slower than you think, you know, you might be working on this thing for like two years and you might be a starving entrepreneur through that process, but you know, that those years are where the work really gets done. And that's where you can make the biggest personal gains building out your network because you're not tied down to a day job, like going out and like learning as much as you can. All those things are incredibly, incredibly important, but make sure you have a realistic look outlook as to what you're doing and what that pathway is because there's plenty of people who have gone down the path you're going down and they should be able to point you in the right direction and say hey you're too early to fundraise don't do that go and join an accelerator instead or hey this is a good time to fundraise go and talk to these people so your network is extremely important surround yourself with good good people and i think that the veteran startup community is uniquely positioned to make a huge impact in the world right? A lot of veterans have seen the darkness of humanity, 
But by seeing that, you're also able to see like where the light is. And I think that if we can unite a tribe of military veteran and spouse entrepreneurs building technologies and companies that can possibly impact the world, there's no one better suited to do that than a military trained veteran entrepreneur. So that, that would be my advice. Let's unite together to change the world. And then um, what was your last question, Mike? As a community, how can we support the work you're doing at the Veteran Fund? You know, I'm, I'm more, I lean more towards like, how can the Veteran Fund support the community? Um, you know, we're doing exactly what I said. We're trying to find that tribe of, of like-minded people that want to change the world. And I mean, look, like we've got another 30 to 50 years of work ahead of us. And, you know, we've made some really great strides and we're just getting started. And so like our ultimate goal is to unite this community to build really great companies and, and technologies. And so, you know, if you are interested in getting into the startup realm, take a look at Founder Institute, absolutely join Bunker Labs. Every single person who's a veteran entrepreneur needs to be part of the Bunker Labs community. Um, and then when you're ready for funding, reach out to us. Um, you know, we're happy to give you advice and support. Um, you could go to veteran.fund slash startup. Um, and then final piece, we're doing the 100K pitch competition. I don't know when this is coming out, but our semifinals are this Thursday online. And then we're doing the live uh, pitch event at uh, the Military Influencer Conference in October. Love it. I'll be out there, get to hang out again in person. First time I met you was at the Military Veteran Startup Conference. So Love these opportunities to get together in person. And man, thanks for everything that you're doing for the community. We're excited to follow the Veteran Fund. And again, I will plug a link to the Veteran Fund in the show notes, as well as the Founder Institute for the Veteran Initiative that you all are launching. So man, we appreciate you joining us on the show today. For all our listeners, do me a favor and go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. Be sure to also subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Um, or shoot me an email, mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org. Uh, Ryan, where can people follow you at? Uh, follow me on LinkedIn. And then um, you can also subscribe to our newsletter by going to veteran.fund, which is our website. Love it. Until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.